Welcome to Days of Roar, our Detroit Tigers podcast brought to you by the Detroit Free Press. My name is Mark Gorash. I'm here with Free Press beat writer Evan Petzold, who is Rocky Mountain High, Colorado. And he's been on a long, long ass road trip that he's looking a little haggard. He's getting on the airplane in the morning, but he's he's on a four and three road trip. So talk to me, Ev. How was it? Road trip was good. Tigers played pretty well, I thought, all things considered. I mean, look, when you lose, you know, two of your starting pitchers, Matthew Boyd, obviously, he's done now. Tommy John surgery. Um, you know, Matt Boyd's season is done. And, and the Tigers lost him immediately, you know, when this road trip started on Monday, right in the first inning, and, and he was done. The bullpen had to cover. They did a great job. The Tigers won 7-2 against the Rangers in that game. And then, you know, a few days later, Reese Olsen, a, a young up-and-coming pitcher who, you know, I think has, has proven himself as a guy who can hold his own up here. He takes a comebacker off of the, the knee area, and um, it was a knee contusion. He'll be fine. He'll make his next star. They might push him back a day uh, just to give him a little bit of rest, um, just generally, right? Because he's a young guy and he's a young arm, and you, know, you want to be careful. But still, he was knocked out in the second inning, and then the Tigers' bullpen had to had to cover there. And then there was a bullpen game on uh, Saturday against the Colorado Rockies, the Tigers, they won that game there. So um, the Tigers won three straight games where it was kind of bullpen only uh, for the most part. And then obviously they had a huge game on Sunday um, where the ball was really flying. It was, you know, Coors Field at its best. Um, The Tigers scored all 14 runs on five home runs. Two of those were grand slams. Javi Baez in the first inning, Jake Marisnik towards the end of the game. But yeah, all in all, look, Mark, when we talked last week, we said, you got to take one from the Texas Rangers. You have to take one. They took two. And they won two of three against the Rockies. A four and three week is that's pretty damn good when you think about the fact that they had to play the Texas Rangers for four games, isn't it? Yep, it's pretty good. They kind of caught the Rangers at a time when they were not playing full-out Rangers baseball. Uh, they got their ass beat twice, but they somehow managed to eke out two games from Texas where – it was not pretty. I saw a stat where the Tigers are six and zero in bullpen games with like a two fifteen ERA. So maybe we're doing it wrong. Maybe paying eighteen and a half million dollars for two starting pitchers was a terrible idea, and we should have paid eighteen million dollars for a bunch of relievers. So uh, I mean, I do wonder if that's like a strategy that could actually work, like big picture, right? I mean, obviously you're putting so I mean you're, you're taxing the bullpen to the max, which is like unfair to those guys. But what if you built your team around that? What if you built your team to get guys that could go, you know, three innings and they could push four innings. And that was just like your entire pitching staff. Would that be possible? Would that, would that work? Is that, is that even a thing? Like it's worked for the tigers. And I think it, there is some advantage to it because you can, you know, you can catch a hitter the first time through the order. Like say that you got Chris Bryant, right? from the Rockies. Chris Bryant, as much as he's had trouble staying healthy and as much as he's had some down years, Chris Bryant's a good player. And if you can give him looks different times every every time he you know steps to the plate, is that not advantage Detroit Tigers for doing that? I mean, the same thing could be true for the Marcus Semien, Corey Seager back-to-back in the Rangers lineup. If you can give them a different look every time through every single game, isn't that benefit Detroit Tigers? I would think so. But I don't know if it's possible to do without like overtaxing the bullpen and, and, and kind of screwing yourself over. Like, I, I don't know if it's even possible, but I do think it's a fascinating strategy and the Tigers have taken advantage of it. So, you know, hats up to AJ Hinch and 
Um, also too, like to the organization for getting guys that are going to be able to go multiple innings. That was something well, that they prioritized and it's worked. Let's just say that we talked a little bit about this today, you and I, and you, you did players of the month and Tyler Alexander, holy smokes, the greatest month he's ever had as a tiger, 17 innings, two, two earned runs, eight appearances. What a lifesaver of dominance he was in the month of May, which. Well, and the funny thing is though, Mark, I voted for Jose Cisnero. Which who, tells you something about how good that bullpen has been. Yeah, which who gave up zero runs in the month of May. I mean, the month of June. So, you know, it, do I think that it's a viable strategy for a season? Absolutely not. Not unless you had 25 pitchers. <laughs> so, um, and my answer to that is uh, Tampa, I think, gave a lot of thought to, to considering doing that at one point in this last decade. And if they haven't done it, nobody's going to do it. So Good point. I, I just I just don't think it is feasible as much as the, the strategy behind it is outstanding. I just don't think it's physically doable. That That's my answer. So um, good week, four and three week. Showed you a little something. The DM I got from Evan Petzl today was... I know the defense sucked, but I don't care. This was a lot of fun today. <laughs> so It was a fun game. I mean, look, this is a team that, you know, you, you want to see them hit homers and put the ball out of the park. You want to see Javi Baez, you know, get into the action a little bit. They hit more home runs, you know, in Sunday's game than they have in any game all season. Um, they've had one game with four, and then they've had a handful of games with three. But other than that, it's been a bunch of games with two, and then obviously, you know, just games with one homer or, or nothing. So the power has shown up more, I feel like, as of as of lately, and that's a good sign. And, you know, it's a good place to build your confidence, right, in Coors Field. Yeah. Weird, you know, the last month, no Riley Green, one of their best home run hitters, Eric Haas, no home runs. And meanwhile, they've been hitting dongs, you know, with increasing frequency the last 45 days. So, you know, Torx hit quite a few home runs. He hasn't hit much of anything else, but he's hit quite a few homers. And if you're going to, have him adopt a hitting style. I'm probably okay with this, this particular hitting style, you know, home run torque is fine with me. I think we've maligned him, but we've also said torque needs to hit the ball in the air and damn, when he hits the ball in the air and pulls it, what's been happening. Good things. Uh, yeah. He's trotting quite a few times lately. So, you know, that's a good thing. And, you know, other people have contributed around that. Another player that has just been phenomenal is Jakey Rogers. And we'll get to that when we kind of recap the month. So I'll tell you what. So we did the week in review. Let's jump immediately into the big two. First question of the big two. Last month, 9-17 and 17 record in the month of June. Lost your best pitcher. Lost your best hitter. Yet, you know, uh, a pretty horrible month at nine and 17 started out only nine. So really nine and eight, the last uh, 17 games. So my question to you is, as mean as I am, was it a great job of surviving or a bad job of planning? I think it was a great job of surviving. I think when you consider what this division is and you consider the players that the Tigers lost, I think they did a good job of surviving. Look, they, they lost nine games in a row 
this team is not a good team. Okay, this team has the potential to win the division, but that doesn't mean that this team is is a good team. And bad teams go through bad stretches. That's just how it is. That's gonna be, it would be the case if the Tigers had Riley Greener. If they didn't, they may, they might not have lost nine in a row. But you know, you're gonna go through rough patches where you lose, you know, a handful of games in a row. Now this happened after a gut punch, and I think that really brought down the team morale and the offense. Just there was nothing for such a long time to start the month. But then after that, and I'm counting uh, today as well, the Tigers are 11 and nine. They're 11 and nine since the nine game losing streak ended. So I think that's a really good job of surviving for, for much, that reason in and of itself. Much more like the 16 and 11 when they had everybody, right? For sure. And, and you're confident too, because you survived through this. Eduardo Rodriguez is going to be back. He'll pitch Wednesday. Tarek Skubal, who the Tigers haven't seen since August, 2022, is going to pitch on Tuesday. So you got an off day Monday. You got Tarek Skubal going Tuesday, Eduardo Rodriguez going Wednesday, Akil Badu is coming back soon. Riley Green is on his way back. He should be making a rehab start uh, probably on Monday, it sounds like. So you have your guys coming back. You got Bo Brisky in waiting in Toledo. You have Alex Faedo ready to go in Toledo. Joey Wentz has been demoted to Toledo. So now you kind of you know, reestablish the pitching depth that you thought you had when the season starts, where you have Joey Wentz and Alex Faedo in, in Toledo. Reese Olsen sounds like he's going to stick with the big league club, but he's pitched his ass off and deserves it. The point is, is they have survived this and now they are getting back at Eduardo Rodriguez, Tarek Skubal, and Riley Green. Those are the best three players in the organization, hands down. Aside so from Cole Keith. So I think the answer to the question, in fairness from both of us, is great job surviving. Heck yeah. Um, when you go and you take two or four from the Rangers, you survived. That's impressive. Okay. All right, let's go to uh, second question of the big two. All right, we're going to hit the all-star break after next Sunday. What do you expect in the second half? Obviously, the entire focus is going to be on the, the standings at this point. I mean, once you get to that halfway point, you can really start to, I feel like, and, and I know the Tigers aren't going to act like this, and they're not really going to talk like this. A.J. Hinch definitely is not going to talk about the standings or where the Tigers are at. He thinks they need to play better to even talk like that. We talked about that last week. I think it was a bold move by him to say all that kind of stuff. I also think it was real and um, and probably the smartest decision that he could have made to keep his team focused on, on day in, day out. But from the outside looking in, everyone's going to be focused on the standings. And right now, as we sit here and we record on Sunday night, the Tigers are four and a half games behind the Minnesota Twins for first place in the Central. They have, you know, they have some games coming up against the Oakland Athletics, and those are those are three games the Tigers could take. They could they could sweep that series. That's possible. And with the way that this division is playing, everything is for the taking. So that's kind of where we go from here, right? I mean, that that's the expectation is is can they can they make it? Can they not? Um, can they be a team that actually contends in the final month of the season? I don't know well, the answer to that question yet, but like all expectations are like in that direction right now, if that makes sense. Yeah, we're, we're, we're far, far away from having any idea of the answer to that question. We haven't even seen the iteration of the team we think it will be play yet. So, well, you know, that's and that's where we get into the trade deadline and Eduardo Rodriguez is, is probably going to be dealt away and Michael Lorenzen's probably going to be dealt away and you know, what else can they try to, to make work? And you, you're going to dump Cisnero probably because he's on the last year of his deal. What can you get for him? Those are all the questions that still need to be answered. 
along with, you know, is Justin Henry Malloy going to be able to, to make his way up here? Will the Tigers, you know, buck up and promote Cole Keith at some point, or are they going to wait it out? Um, those are all questions that we don't really have the answers to yet. So I guess, yeah, sure. Like there are some expectations roster wise and some questions that need to be answered. But I do think the big question is, can this team make the playoffs? Yes or no. And what are I, they going to do to get there? I, I think they have a chance based upon their ability. First of all, they're going to get back three players this week, you know, in the next two weeks that are their best players, their three best players. Okay. Well, you know, three of their four, I mean, in anybody that does not include Javi Baez as their one of their four best players, you know, I understand that you are frustrated by him, but at the same time, I think I tweeted this today. He's got 42 RBIs, which is tied for third best among shortstops in baseball. And to say he's playing good defense is probably not giving him enough credit because he's magical right now. Just 98 percentile and outs above average. Mark, you, you saw the play. Yeah, I mean, yeah. the, the ball that was between third base and shortstop and it gets a good first step. And he said, you know, once I had that first step, I knew I was going to have a chance. So I just went for it. And he, he like dove up and backwards and, and somehow got the ball, jumped to his feet threw a one hopper to Torkelson, which again was genius because the sun was coming in on left field. They had practice working on one hoppers because of the fact that the sun was going to be in your eyes with a, a straight throw from, uh, you know, from that side of the infield. He did everything perfect. 98th percentile and outs above average. Yeah, he made so he many lead. plays. On this road trip, there were some... I mean, there was a play today that people didn't really notice that I, it, it, they, they turned a double play on it and somebody hit an absolute scud. And it just... It, 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 they hit it so hard that it didn't really bounce. It more skidded. And he just picked it like it was nothing and they turned to and I was like, you have no idea how difficult that play was just now. And he makes it look like nothing. So, you know, I know people love the yelling scream because he swings and misses so much. And he made two routine errors the other day. I, I just ignore all that stuff. I, you know, RBIs outs above average hitting with runners and scoring position you know, he's. Well, I will, I will give you this, Mark. He, he is dead last among qualified players in WRC plus. I know we both value WRC plus. We do, and it's. So I want to be fair in that way as well. No escaping that. Period. End of story. Okay, but at the same time, if you had a guy that was last in WRC plus, but still had forty-two runs batted in, and played that kind of defense, at least you're getting something. Yep. So. Uh, it's better than when Jonathan, it's better than like last year when Jonathan scope was at the very bottom of that list and he was giving you absolutely nothing. He was giving you defense, but he was giving you nothing. So defense without uh, the ship. Yeah. Right. So I think the the second half is going to be very interesting. I, if Cole Keith, you know, has another two weeks of just eviscerating baseballs, you know, at some point in time, AJ's going to give Scott Harris the look like, dude, I mean, at some point in time, we got to put this guy in a league where it actually challenges him. It, you know, the time has come to uh, 
find out what we have. It's not well, like that, that promotion happened on Monday, Mark. We didn't even get to talk about it yet. We haven't even introduced this to our listeners. I mean, we've been pressing for it for forever. Okay. Well, Cole Keith is at Toledo. Big whoop to do. Okay. I mean, they kept, they kept him at Erie to, you know, guarantee a playoff spot for Erie in a playoff that Cole Keith will never play in. It was the strangest strategic idea. You know, I, it makes zero sense to me. I mean, the, 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 Erie, Erie's not good when Cole Keith isn't playing for them. So I'm not really sure what they think they're accomplishing, except two dates of attendance where 2,000 people are going to show up. But God bless them, okay? Good for the moral victory. Hope you enjoy it. You know, the idea is to develop baseball players. So the fact that they held them back for two weeks, you know, I... I I, I think I've said my piece a hundred times. But again, Mark, I told you this when it happened. I said, at least they made the right decision. Reluctantly. But and let's he's been crushing. Yeah, let's, let's see what happens two weeks from now. If he is, you know, 18 for the next 40 after already doing what he's done. So I think he's seven for 16 so far. Or something along those lines. So if he's another 18 for 40 or 15 for 45, let's see where we're at. And then they're going to have to make a decision, you know, if he can help the big club and we'll see what they do about that. They obviously, if Meadows continues to hit the ball, he had a great, he had, he had 333 in the month of June. Um, they're going to have to decide about that also, depending on how Badu plays when he comes back. Uh, but you know, I'm sure in their mind, I'm sure Abanez is going to Abanez and McKinstry are going to play a lot more infield here, starting, you know, within the next week. You're going to see them less in the outfield and more in the infield. So they'll probably tell themselves that they don't really need Cole Keith. But you know, I I still remember the quote that, you know, they're going to prioritize getting at-bats to younger players, and I'm still waiting for the younger players to get at-bats. I'll be interested to see if they wait until Cole Keith gets to a point where he's going to be able to maintain his rookie status into next season. Maybe they call him up at that point this year to give him a taste, knowing that he's going to be able to maintain the rookie status, and you know if he's rookie of the year, Tigers get some draft picks for that. So maybe that could be a strategy behind the scenes. No one's ever going to talk about it, of course, but um, that would be a fascinating way to handle that situation if you still wanted to give them a taste this year, um, but then also find a way to, to maybe you know, be rewarded for a, a player that you know might have a chance to win American League Rookie of the Year. As crazy as that sounds to say at this point, he's done nothing to prove otherwise. Hopefully, instead, they're in a division race and they don't care mm-hmm. about something yep. like that and they care about doing something they haven't cared about in seven years, which is winning baseball games. So I'm, uh, I'm hoping that's part of the equation and we start seeing some younger guys and we stop seeing, you know, four, a players that are plugging gaps, trying to get them to the next place. That's my nice way of saying it. Okay. So, you know, since we're coming up on the all-star break, I thought it was time that we took five minutes and reviewed and had a segment called who is Mark wrong about and is he too mean and cynical? So I wanted to go over, 
You know, they brought in quite a few players. Some I liked, some I didn't. And uh, I need to apologize for being wronged about some of these players. Yeah, you do. And I think the fans at Days of Roar will probably like the fact that I'm coming clean and telling you I missed on some players. So I think the first and foremost apology that we... The first and foremost apology would be Jordan McKinstry. Would you not think that he should top the list or not? Very top of the list. So for me too, look, we already, we already did this. We already apologized to him on the podcast. That's been, that's already happened. I mean, we both dragged him and I didn't think he was going to do what he did in May. You didn't think he was going to do what he did in May. And he went off. And he was terrible. He was terrible in June, but he has started to recover. Had a huge swing yesterday and monster home run. Right. I I, I think the second player that I'll have to uh, admit being not not wrong, but disappointed that he failed to the extent that he did because I thought he had some possibilities. Is uh, I thought we'd see a little something out of Nick Maton, and to be honest with you, that just that just got off the rails like a bad trip to Vegas and you didn't know somebody couldn't handle the lifestyle. It was, it was ugly. And, uh, I gotta, I gotta come clean on that. I mean, so well, you were pretty high on him in spring training, right? I mean, but again, wow. not, not to put that all on you. I think everybody that was on social media, I think all the fans, they were eating up in Nick Maton and they were, they were, they were loving Wolfie in spring training when he was hitting those home runs. But I think you were on that on that ship too, even though we had pointed out some things that were you know flaws. He just got overexposed. Yep, I have to take the L on Nick Maytime. The other place I would have to take the L, somebody you like more than I have, and I kind of still don't like him, but he still keeps being productive. Now, I'm not a huge Matt Veerling guy, and uh, Matt Veerling has been extremely productive for the Detroit Tigers, especially the last month. And uh, there's a lot of fans and quite a few people voting for him from the All-Star game from Oakland. But, you know, he's done a solid job. He's got like a 770 OPS. He's hitting 270 plus. Hit a few dongs. He's been more than a primary contributor. Um, So I'm still not a fan. 112 WRC plus. Yep. 25 war. He's, he's been pretty good. The other, you know, I, I think everybody knows my feelings about Matthew Boyd, uh, quality human being, probably the best human being on the roster. Um, never been a huge fan of his production as a pitcher. Wasn't exactly great in his starts, but I think if you check, a meaningless stat called pitcher wins. Uh, Matthew Boyd has the most pitcher wins on the Detroit Tigers staff. So uh, wishing him the best in his recovery. And uh, we had a little bet. I think I won the bet, but I'm still going to make a contribution to the charity. And uh, we'll come back to that at a, at a later date. I mean, were there other players that I 
had interest in. Yeah, I thought that you and I both had some interest in them considering Brian Anderson, who's having a pretty good year for Milwaukee. They didn't do anything with him. Uh, I Candelario, I was pretty big on. And now we're going to get to the 5,000-pound elephant in the room, the Evan Petzold biggest regret of the offseason, Jamer Candelario. Did Jamer Candelario? I like him. Look, did Jamer Candelario make the All-Star team today? Uh, I did not see. I am not sure. I don't think he did. But I don't think so. No, somebody. He, I think Josiah Gray did from uh, from the Nationals. But but he did not. But Jamer sure as hell deserved it. Oh yeah, I mean the guy hit his 11th home run uh, Sunday. He's, I mean, look like the WAR is off the charts. He's like a two and a half WAR player. He is the best third baseman in the National League according to WAR. His defense suddenly is amazing. Um, he's hitting home runs. He's back to hitting doubles at the top of leaderboards. I mean, walking the guy, the guy, Mark, he came into to today's game with 10 homers and, and 26 doubles and a nice walk rate for himself. And then he goes and hits his 11th home run today. And he's a switch hitter. Like, it, would you not love that on the Tigers? Even if you got Nick Maton, even if you made Nick Maton, your starter in opening day, would you have loved not to just bring Jamer Candelario back, pay him 6 million bucks, sit him on the bench to start the year and, and, get him as at-bats here and there. And then right now, he would be their everyday third baseman. Now, I know it would be different because he's getting way more playing time in Washington than he would be in Detroit, just considering the way that things turned out. Scott Harris went out and got Nick Maton. Nick Maton was always going to be kind of the regular at third base until you know he needed a demotion or until you know he, he stuck and ran with it for the rest of his career, right? Like, that was always the plan. So I kind of understand, like, maybe it wouldn't have worked out the same way just because he, you know, Jammer would have been coming off the bench as opposed to starting every day. But this is just proof that this is still a good bat and this is still a good player. And I don't think we should sleep on the fact that although he had a terrible 2022, when you combine what he did in 2020, 2022, 2021, 2022, and 2023, that's four seasons, 112 OPS plus. Hats off to the guy. This was a walk yeah, it's it's justified. I don't think anybody should be that mad that they let him go based upon his minus zero point four WAR of two thousand twenty two. But <laughs> look, it's kind of like this: you're in a bad relationship, you've been married for a while, all the worst part of you comes out. You're not showering a lot. You're not trying. You hate your relationship with your spouse. You're sitting in PJs all weekend and you're mean and you don't want to do anything. And suddenly you break up, you move to a new place, you're neater, you get a haircut, you lose 25 pounds, you find somebody new and they bring out all the good things in you. You just needed a change of scenery and someone to be supportive and make you remember the good things that you could do. And uh, that's kind of what's happened to Jamer Candelario in Washington. So, well, What did you feel a lot better, Mark, if the Tigers brought back Jamer Candelario and they brought back Andrew Chafin? Like, would you feel a lot better about them going into the deadline? I mean, you have to spend a little bit, obviously, to, uh, to get those players. And you have to also hope that they're able to stay healthy and that they're able to produce. But if the Tigers had Candelario and Chafin as trade deadline chips on top of Eduardo Rodriguez, 
Yeah, nice. I'm going to answer that. I'm going to answer that. But we got to take a break. We'll be right back. So my, my answer to that is, guess what? After this season, if the Tigers decide they had made a mistake with Heimer Candelario, they could go sign him. There's uh, no rules that say that the Tigers are not allowed to sign Heimer Candelario when he becomes a free agent this winter. So do I wish that he was on the Tigers right now? Yeah, they probably would have won five more games if he was. Um, I think you and I were huge advocates for the idea of bringing back Andrew Chafin. And I think based upon the monstrous use of their bullpen, if you say had Andrew Chase, you know, Andrew Chafin, uh, instead of, uh, you know, Chase and Shreve, yes, they'd be much better. You may not also have claimed Tyler Holton if you had Andrew Chafin. So that's facts. Um, you know, things happen for a reason Weird things happen. You may not have, Claim Zach McKinstry if you had Heimer Candelario. So Mayton would have supposedly been penciled in at second base a lot more. So, you know, there's a lot of things that go on. It's fun to straw man, second guess things. But, you know, and things that have gone wrong, I mean, uh, you and I both seriously contemplated the idea of Edwin Rios, who hit a Sterling 046 for the Cubs before he was demoted. So that would have been terrible. Yes. Mark Gorash made quite a few bad calls. Um, we don't need to regale everybody with all the good calls, but yes, I made quite a few bad ones. But and, you're not paid uh, to make the right calls. That's the thing. I mean, I, I, and to, to those that have loved to take pot shots at me, my answer is uh, bring it on, dude. I'm like a good goalie. I'm like an all-star goalie. You may score five on me on Friday night, but I'll be back in there Sunday, and I might shut your ass out. So uh, bring it <laughs> no, on. I can't believe you just said that. <laughs> Let's see what you got. I'm not, uh, I'm not too soft, and I'm not too cuddly. Unless, and you can own it. And I appreciate that. I think that yeah. that's a good thing. I mean, you came on here and you talked about who you were wrong on and, you know, mentioned Edwin Rios. I thought that'd be a good idea as well. Yeah. I mean, you almost kind of so, talked me into it in a way. And yeah. um, I was all for it. And thankfully and that I, did not happen. So we can and own I, it. And I will tell you, because you have seen the videos, when it comes to being soft and cuddly, when it, I am soft and cuddly when it comes to Braden Michael Gorash, two-year-old grandson. So... Um, he does have a soft spot in that heart. People. I do. I do. I do have a soft spot for being a daddy and an uncle and a grandfather, all of the above, but you'll ruin my rep if we do it. All right. So let's move on to the next thing. We have a starting rotation. So let's quickly regale everybody coming up. We have a starting rotation. Let's talk about it for a second. Uh, Tuesday, uh, we have Tarek Skubal starting. It would not shock me if at the last minute they decided to consider doing a Scooble Olsen piggyback for the first time because I just don't see Tarek Scooble throwing more than four innings on, on Tuesday night. What do you think? Well, they're definitely going to be careful with them. I don't know exactly what their plan is in terms of how they plan to, to navigate that, but he's not going to go out there and throw seven innings. Okay, He's probably not going to throw six innings. Um, 
I don't even know about five innings. So they're going to be really conservative with him. They're going to be careful with them. It's going to be monitoring, you know, both innings with, you know, up downs. Um, and then also pitch count, you know, in each individual, individual inning. Um, look, they put in a lot of time with his rehab. They have um, really detailed and pieced together his entire throwing program and each step along the way. And those steps continue. So they're going to monitor him closely. A Scooble Olsen piggyback would make a lot of sense, especially because, you know, that would give you an opportunity to, you know, get Olsen to the all-star break, keep him kind of fresh, not have to, you know, use him. He might only need to throw three, four innings. Um, right. That's okay. And that that's great. And then hand it over to the rest of your pen. I think that works out until the Tigers get to the all-star break. After that, um, I think the, the reins maybe come off of Scooble a little bit more. It's just kind of a, a start-by-start thing as he gets back into it. Yep. So, yeah, I could see that happening. But one way or the other, they're going to be careful. Yeah. Wednesday night will be the snub of getting an all-star uh, berth who deserved it. Uh, Eduardo Rodriguez will start Wednesday night. And I'm going to assume probably no restrictions. Probably no think, restrictions. Ah, you don't think any restrictions. You think they're no going to let him go 90 I pitches. think they're just going to let him go. Okay. That's a beautiful thing. So now you got we'll Scooble. But I think that's the case. You got Scooble. You have Eduardo. You have, and this is a very opportune time to have this discussion. You have All Star Michael Lorenzen. First time so, All Star. Michael first Lorenzen. time and probably last time. So uh, let's talk about Michael Lorenzen. Uh, threw really, really well for a stretch in May. He did. And the last six starts, not too good. No, not good at all. He he did. I mean, he was he was really solid for the Tigers. And that was right when they started to tweak some of the things with his pitch usage and just getting him to simplify, simplify, simplify. And from May 3rd through June 3rd, he posted a one eight three ERA in six starts. Now, since then, it's a six two eight ERA in five starts. So he has not been good as of recently. He is not striking out batters. He probably needs to strike out more batters. But again, he doesn't really have swing and miss stuff. Um, he has more, you know, stuff that'll move. But you still need to throw it in the zone, and you've got to paint with it um, in order to get your outs. And I mean, obviously, then that that translates to ground ball outs and stuff like that. He just can't be leaving pitches you know, in the heart of the plate, which he's done, you know, too many times. He was singled to death by the Rockies and he was pretty frustrated coming out of that start. And he kind of took the approach of like, okay, I need to miss more bats. When in reality, it's probably just make better pitches, hit the corners, paint, get the ground ball outs that you know that you can get because that's the type of pitcher that he is. And then fast forward to Sunday afternoon when ESPN does their, you know, uh, they, they drop the reserves and the, 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 all-star, you know, the full all-star team, basically, they drop it. And Lorenzen's name shows up. It was the last name that they announced for the American League team. And it shocked everybody, including Michael Lorenzen, who got the news from A.J. Hinch. A.J. Hinch calls him into his office, and he's kind of slow playing the news. They got the coaching staff in there with the pitching guys, you know, Chris Fetter and Robin Lund. And Lorenzen thought he was getting traded. If that tells you, like, how he wasn't even thinking about the all-star game. He thought he was getting traded. Um, and so then, yeah, he finds out that he is, he kind of breaks down and kind of has this moment. And AJ Hinch called it emotional. Um, Michael Lorenzen said he broke down and his quote was, I'm a mid four. How did I make the all-star team? End quote. So I, I thought he handled it well, just the way that he responded to that. He also talked about, look, there are several guys in this clubhouse that could be an all-star. And he named Alex Lang, 
He named Jason Foley and he named Tyler Holton. I would throw Jose Cisnero into that mix myself as well. And he, he was, he was a professional and he was really classy about it with his teammates. Like that's a really good teammate right there. Thought the way that he handled it, um, both with explaining the shock and then also explaining the fact that he knows that again, with a, a, a four plus ERA, that's, that doesn't really happen. And there are other guys in that clubhouse who were also deserving of, of being an all-star, maybe more deserving, definitely more deserving. So share with me whose decision is it of who to add? Is it the coaching staff? Is it major league baseball? Is I, it, I believe it's all through the commissioner's office at that point. And is it the commissioner's office have a discussion with the Detroit Tigers? I mean, are, are you familiar with what the actual process is of deciding what that's going to be? I don't know what the process is. I do know that there's obviously fan vote and then um, there is some form of like player vote. And then when it does come down to just picking and choosing um, the remaining, you know, players for teams that need a representative that goes through the commissioner's office. Um, I don't know how much dialogue there is with teams. I don't know if that's, maybe there is dialogue behind the scenes and that's something that, you know, no one's ever going to be able to admit or no one's ever going to you know talk about, but um, for anything that I've been told, it, it comes from the, it comes from major league baseball. Okay. I mean, I, I have many questions, but what's the it's difference? Bizarre. No, it's bizarre. I mean, look, it's look what Jason Foley did. You don't think Jason Foley feels like he deserves to be an all-star. I think he probably does. How I would have him. If, if Eduardo Rodriguez is healthy well, enough to pitch yeah, Wednesday, he's not, he, he deserves to go. I mean, he was one of the best pitchers in baseball before he missed 30 days. Big deal. It's a fair point. So, I mean, if Eduardo Rodriguez would have missed the first month of the season and then threw like he threw for the last two months up to now, you don't think he'd have been an all-star? So, I, I think it's all quite bizarre, but it's kind of useless to even argue about it. And Does that add any trade value, you think? None. Because teams see right through that. Yeah, teams only want to know how healthy Eduardo Rodriguez is and depending on I, look it when the time you're going to try to move Lorenzen they have to of course but I don't you know I, I we've had this discussion you and I privately many times I I think they're going to try to move guys I just don't think there's very much for them so you know on the same side of that um you know Tampa used to they'd move guys around and get weird guys and they always were pretty good about taking players from other teams stockpile or minor leaguers, uh, Isaac Paredes being an outstanding premise of how clever they are. So they see things in players sometimes that their own orgs don't see. So, you know, I'm not saying that the Tigers can't get a good player for Michael Lorenzen, but it's going to take a level of research that we haven't seen the Scott Harris administration actually do yet it's but not to be fair they, he hasn't really had the opportunity to do that we well, have never seen I, him work what, a trade deadline what i was going to say is is the i'm not knocking him for not having done it he just hasn't had a chance to do it so you know the idea that look the biggest benefit to dealing michael lorenzen to the detroit tigers right now is that they're going to they're going to get out from under an $8 million salary for a starting pitcher. They can easily replace the production from. So if they get a player that's useful, beautiful, that, that, that'll be a bonus to them. But 
Eduardo Rodriguez, they better think long and hard about what they're doing. And if they don't really get good offers, I would immediately start having discussions with Eduardo Rodriguez about what it would take to keep him here. He seems to like it here. And they're a much better team when he is here. So if they're not getting good response about value in trade discussions, they need to figure out how to navigate that and, you know, reworking his contract to make him want to stay. What's your thoughts about that? It'll be interesting to see. I think you have to deal him and have to get what you can get at this point. That's my take on it. I think just look, I mean, there, there are other ways to get starting pitching. I think there are other really good pitchers out there. I also think that Eduardo Rodriguez, despite coming off the injury is probably at peak value. Um, considering where he's been in the past. When you look at the fact that um, in 2021, he had a 4.74 ERA with the Boston Red Sox a year after not pitching. He didn't pitch at all in 2020. And then had a 4.74 ERA and the Tigers signed him into a five-year $77 million deal. And he got really hot for 11 games and was was really good for the Tigers. Um, There was a stretch kind of even inside those 11 games where he was just straight-up dominant, ace-like, Cy Young caliber, type stuff. I think he can be that kind of pitcher, but at the same time, there are other ways to get good pitching. And I think you got to try to trade him, get what you can get, get as much as you can get and move on and move on. That that's how I view it. That's my take. What about the year he was 19 and five and three, 200 innings. Are we forgetting that one? Yeah, that was 2019 though. That's, that's a while ago. Well, I'm just saying. He threw 157. He threw. I mean, he threw 157 innings in 2021 after not pitching in 2020. He disappeared in 2022 and threw 91 innings, and then he ruptured his has an injury, which again, it's not a significant, serious injury. It's not his elbow. It's none of that. But again, he got injured this year. So I think that there's a level of: Is he ever going to be that guy? Is he ever going to be able to go out and make 34 starts for me? post a sub four. And is that even good enough for what you want to pay him? I mean, do you want a guy, if you're going to pay him that much money, do you want a guy that's going to sit at a three, eight ERA for you? Or do you want a guy that's sitting more, you know, three, two, three, 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 four, or even below that, if you're going to really try to pay that much money for a dude. So my take is, I think you can do better with the type of money that you'd be giving him. I think it's better to just trade him and let him opt out and, you know, go find yourself a, a, a new way to get a pitcher that's going to be a little bit better than Eduardo Rodriguez. Cause I think that they can do better. Well, like I said, not, not sure what he will bring in trade value. You got a lot of moving parts here. You know, you could also just let him opt out. And if he gets over a hundred million dollars, you get a pretty good draft choice. So mm-hmm. um, it it's going to require some acumen from their team president. And these are the type of things this month we're going to, basically go into phase two of Scott Harris evaluation about how he's going to handle a draft, how he's going to handle a trade deadline, how he's going to handle promotions, keeping the team competitive, uh, a lot of moving parts, um, a lot of circumstances where we get to evaluate him in a little more high pressure talent evaluation, roster construction environment. So we'll, we'll see what's up with that. We're going to go to a break, and when we come back, we're going to go to Perfect Game cross-checker Brian Sikowski. We just want to check back in for a couple minutes to see what info he's heard about where the Tigers may have some interest or who may fall to them at pick number three. 
We're here with Brian Zukowski, national cross-checker for Perfect Game. We have the Major League Draft happening on uh, Sunday, July 10th. And we thought we'd touch base again with Brian and just kind of see where things stand. Things always, you know, shuffle around. There's politics, there's secret deals, there's all kinds of things happen. There's late risers and... Since the Tigers going to be drafting at three, was a good, you know, College World Series is over. Got a chance to see everybody. Thought it was a good time to touch base again and see what's going on. So, Bri, uh, I think the top three in this draft are pretty clear. Why don't we review them? But what order are they going to be selected? What are you hearing? So I'm working on a mock draft right now as we record this on Sunday night. Um, we'll be out Monday the third for whenever your, your listeners are going to hear this, but I I'm under the impression that Max Clark is going to go one. Um, I've been told that repeatedly in the last couple of weeks, there's enough smoke to where I believe there's fire. I'm not like calling my shot, but the mock draft that drops tomorrow will have Max Clark going first overall. Um, so that creates obviously some, some different stuff, you know, that it guarantees the tigers a shot at one of Cruz or Langford. And my information says that Skeens is going to go two anyways. So I think that there's a decent chance they're going to have their choice of Dylan Cruz and, and Wyatt Langford, um, which I can't imagine there being a better break for what they'd want this year and what Scott Harris seems to want and, and so on and so forth. And like that, those are the top two guys in the class for us are Cruz and Langford. I've been told they won't take Skeens, even if he's there. Um, they're not going to take a pitcher from my understanding. So I, it's, I would imagine right now, man, like, 90% it's one of cruisers or Langford would be my guess right now. So it's That's not mind blowing. It's not Kyle Teal. <laughs> no, it's, it, I've heard that Clark is going to cut a little bit of a deal. It's not going to be overwhelming, but he's the only one of that top tier who's willing to do it. So they're going to take him at one. The Nats are all locked in on Skeens, uh, regardless of what happens. Cruz may make them think twice, but it's my understanding that it'll be Skeens. And then if they want him, Dylan Cruz may be right there at three. Do you know, it's it, it's interesting that you say that because Charrington has been in these circumstances, I think, multiple times before. So the idea that he's taken an underslot guy and has plans for the rest of the money is not a big shock, right? No, they just did it with Henry Davis. You know, like it, that wasn't the exact same circumstance as it is right now, where like that was more of a we don't have a top guy necessarily, so let's just call them all and see who will take the deal, as opposed to this year where there kind of seems to be a pretty consensus top guy in Dylan Cruz. But it's that's just the the way the winds are blowing right now is he wants to save a little bit. None of those college guys are going to save you, um, in terms of the money, so I. That's where we're going to roll with in this mock. We'll drop another one the day of uh, the first day of the draft. But like, as of right now, man, like I'm truly expecting Clark to go one. So talk to me, Brian. Who's the pick for the Tigers then? I mean, is it Cruz all day? Is that is it slam dunk at that point? Yeah, I mean, I, from my perspective, yeah. I, I don't. I'm not in the Tigers draft room, you, you know. But like, I I would imagine. I I think their board is Cruz one, Langford two. You know. So it, if you're sticking with that, then and I think that you may have to go over slot to pay Dylan Cruz a three. I think that's a possibility, but they have the money to do that. You know, they have these extra picks. They're the second biggest bonus pool or whatever it ends up being. Um, I, there was a tweet. I wish I could remember who sent it, but there was a tweet the other day that was, that was put out that was like, 
I think it was the Matt Collier, the guy who created Fabio, the metric, but um, the Tigers and Pirates line up very, very well in terms of like being able to do the exact same thing if they want to this year in terms of their money and their picks. The Pirates obviously with the advantage because they will have the first pick and the right of first refusal for whoever they want, but like they line up well to be able to be creative. And if, and if that means over slot at three for the best player in the class, I think that might be what we're looking at. So let's say Dylan Cruz is the pick. What does he bring to the Tigers, right? Like, what, what is he going to bring? What are the attributes right now? How quickly could he get there? What type of an impact player are the Tigers going to be getting if they make that pick? I think he's the best player in the country. Um, I think he's the best hitter in the country. I think that he provides value in every way. I think that he's kind of your ideal leadoff hitter in today's Major League Baseball. Like, this is a guy who can hit 20, 25, 30 bombs while hitting all the time and getting on base and adding value on the base paths. I think that there's a chance he's a left fielder long-term, but I think he's good enough in center field right now to put him there. Um, I Double A this year, big leagues next year, and all-star in 25. Like, that's like that's what I see from Dylan Cruz. Um, I think he's as close to a plug-and-play bat as you can get, and it, <laughs> if the Tigers get him at three, I, all of Detroit should be stoked is where I'm at with it. That sounds pretty dangerous. I mean, look, when you think about it, right, Mark? I mean, Mark, you you can chime in on this too, but and we want to ask about some later picks, Brian, but, man, you, you got Dylan Cruz, Riley Green, Colt Keith, Spencer Torkelson. That ain't bad. Uh, it, look, Dylan Cruz, if he fell in their lap, I mean, that's just a stroke of luck that has happened so rarely to Detroit sports teams who have the worst lottery luck on earth. I mean, you know, whether it was Cruz or Langford, either one is yeah. both just, just studs. I mean, but you know, Brian, you and I have talked about Cruz and the way you describe what you see is exactly when we've discussed it, what I saw. I mean, I think that he'd be a really, really good left fielder. He's a high energy player. He's, Got a line drive stroke with power. He's got unusually great uh, strike zone discipline and recognition. And he's a to me, he's a leadoff hitter. And in a re, he'd be a plus left fielder. He'd be an a okay center fielder. So and he can run like the wind. And no, he actually can't run like the wind. He, but he runs yeah. well. Okay. Good runner. Yeah, yeah. And you know, I I think that's that's getting a really high ceiling player for the Tigers and the Tigers need any kind of high ceiling offensive player they can lay their hands on. And, you know, we're going to talk in the podcast later about something that I, we've never really talked about, but you know, there's a formula to be a playoff team. You have to get 40 war and you want to talk about a way to get to 40 war. Dylan Cruz would be real near the top of the list about how to, uh, you know, jack up, the timeline about getting to 40 war. Cause that's a, you know, a four to six war player. If he pans out, I don't think that there's, it's like a guarantee the tigers get Cruz. I want to make sure I put that on the record here, but I do think that there's like a very, very strong likelihood, like a almost overwhelming likelihood that it's one of Cruz or Langford. And, and, and so talk about Langford for a minute, because even if Pittsburgh comes to their senses and takes Cruz and pays them, you know, I would say it's, pretty likely that Rizzo takes schemes. Rizzo mm-hmm. has a lot of experience taking generational pitching talents. Yep. He, he, it's in his wheelhouse. So I, I feel pretty comfortable thinking that's coming true. So 
if Langford was the pick at three, talk a little bit about Wyatt Langford. He's really good too. I think that you're, I don't know if it's splitting hairs at one and two between him and Cruz, but it's very, very close. Um, it's slightly more explosive explosivity in his tool set. He's a little bit better sprint speed. It's a little bit better raw power. Cruz is more of a consistent, like it's more of a consistent spread in terms of his batted ball skills or batted ball data. Um, but Langford can hit the ball slightly harder and run slightly faster. So you're talking about a little bit more of a power upside, I think, with Langford. But um, at the same time, it's similar. Like probably a corner outfielder. Maybe he's athletic enough to play center right now, but probably a right fielder for Langford. And then just all kinds of right-handed power and performance and feel the hit and approach and would be super, super stoked with either guy as a Tigers fan. Okay. So, I mean, you know, look, I don't worry too much about if guys can play center field or not. I worry if they can hit. I mean, mm-hmm. you, you have Riley to play center field and you may have Parker Meadows to play center field. So I think you're in pretty good shape when it comes to, you know, a center fielder that is good enough to play there defensively in the major leagues. Yep. What, what they need is hitters. So, mm-hmm. you know, Langford and Cruz, that's a really high, that's a high floor you know, huge ceiling for offense with both those two guys. So, you know, question becomes, look, what comes after, you know, what comes with these picks, you know, at 37 and what's the other one, 45 or 46? 45. Yeah. So what, what do you, what do you, how do you see them going? You know, obviously they still need athletes in their system, a, but they also need pitching. I, a guy that I've heard they are, you know, of the heavier teams on uh, is Trent Caraway. He's a, a right-handed hitting infielder from Southern California. He was the MVP of the Trinity League this spring, which I know to the Metro Detroiters doesn't mean much, but nationally that's generally considered to be the top high school league in the country. Uh, and if you hit in that, chances are you're, you're pretty good at it. Um, he's old. That's his drawback. He's old for the class. This is the opposite of a model guy. This guy's like already 19 and a half or something like that. Uh, but it's, it's really, really advanced field to hit. Like he's one of the better pure prep hit tools. It's maybe a third baseman, but I think a pretty good third baseman, uh, with that hit tool with the came into some more power this spring. He was a guy who was always very, very strong and very physical and very on the barrel. But a lot of it was, you know, very low launch type of line drives, ground balls with, with high exit velos. This spring, we started to get that launch up, started to get uh, the barrel out front a little bit more and get the ball in the air. And the results kind of vaulted him up to where we're talking about him as a comp rounder. Uh, but I know the Tigers are in there pretty heavy. I don't, this isn't like a, they have a deal with him. They're picking him. Like, I don't, that's not the case, but it's just kind of tying, tying threads together versus uh, based on what I've been told. Like, that's a guy I would watch at one of those two picks. How about, how about Lombard's kid? He's, is he going to go in the twenties now, or is there a way to maybe, you know, do a deal with him and, uh, and try to see if they can get him to fall down to 37? Yeah, I think there's a chance for that. I know they like him. Um, it's, we'll see with him I, his board or his spread across the board is kind of all over the place right now. I've heard him as high as 25 ish all the way down through the comp where someone will overpay him or whatever it ends up being. But yeah, I think that's definitely a name to, to keep an eye on too is, is Lombard. And, and what about, what about arms, especially collegiate arms? I really haven't heard them tied with any of them specifically, which is wild because usually you get a couple, you know, like 
so-and-so was at this kid's start twice. Uh, you know, like some high-ranking scout in the organization was at a player, two of a player's starts. That's right there. That's a kind of a red arrow saying like, all right, they have interest there. Like that was how I knew the Tigers were taking Matt Manning all those years ago was I had a buddy say, hey, El Avila's been at like three of his starts. Okay. They probably like Matt Manning. Um, so I, I haven't heard any though. That's the thing. Like I thought Joe Whitman from Kent State for a long, long time, maybe one of those picks at 37 or 45, he's going to be long gone at that point. Um, a lot of the college pitching is injured in that range. So it depends on uh, if you're going to pass a guy through a medical, like Vanderbilt, Hunter Owen, or something like that. It, these are all guys with with potentially questionable medicals that you have to obviously sign off on. But I just I think that if they're going to have to end up overpaying at three and then overpay at one of those other two spots for a high school guy, you're probably going to have to cut at the, the other one. So at that point, identify a college arm you like who will take a million bucks at forty five or whatever it is. I just don't know who that guy's going to be. And and. You know, I've I've said a few times that I think that this is from a talent standpoint, especially at the top of the draft, a pretty generational draft. I mean, it's really loaded. What, what's your thoughts about that? You've been watching these kids for years. I think it's got a chance to be. Um, I'm concerned about the college pitching. I, I said that on the last podcast with Ron. Like that's what. It, the very, very top is awesome. Skeens, Louder, Dolander, you know, the, the top tier of the college arms are, are outstanding. But the depth that we thought the class had is all question marks right now because guys are hurt. Guys weren't very good when we expected them to be, you know, so on and so forth. Just I'm a little worried about the depth of college arms. And then high school arms, not a lot of them sign anymore. It's just a, too risky of a demographic to have 15 prep arms sign or something like that. So you just don't see it anymore. But uh, yeah, I just, it's, I, I'm with you, Mark, in terms of like chance to be really, really good upside, but it's just not uh, the college pitching is what's holding me back from saying that right now. For sure. Hey, Brian, one quick question for you before we let you go. I'm curious, any local guys in Michigan? I know there's been some big names recently, Brock Porter being one of them um, that was drafted by the Rangers, but are there any names to know, you know, for kids out of Michigan that, you know, maybe just like the general baseball fan wants to know about or, or would like to learn more about? Yeah, I well, Michigan ties. Keep an eye on Alex Mooney. Um, he's the shortstop at Duke, was a St. Mary's guy. He is sophomore eligible this year. I think he's in the, the comfortably in the second round range. We'll see. Um, and then Michigan State's got a couple of dudes this year that'll probably be top three round picks or so. Brock Freidenberg is the big first baseman and Mitch Jeb, the shortstop. Um, I think that the Tigers like Jeb. A fair bit. I think he does a lot of what Scott Harris wants hitters to do in terms of his ability to control the strike zone. Wouldn't be surprised by him uh, potentially being a Tigers pick. But yeah, it's Mooney, like we said, um, Vradenberg, like you said. I don't think there's any high school guys who are going to be drafted this year. The guys to keep an eye on would be Jaron Purify from Liggett, the shortstop, um, Parker Pico, the center fielder from Rochester Adams. Uh, those are two of the guys. Maybe Jackson Huffman. Um, from Mona Shores on the on the west side, he's an arm, but don't really expect any of those guys to be taken high enough to sign this year. But should be a should be a solid year in the state. But wait for the next few years because that legendary prep class of 2022 is in college now, with the exception of Brock Porter. The 2023 prep class has like 70 D1 guys in it out of the state. So I think in the next several drafts, we'll start to see a ton of guys with Michigan connections get taken. All right, man. Next Sunday's the big day. I know how busy you are. You're probably doing uh, 30 of these this week, to say the least. So 
um, after the draft. We'll uh, we'll check back and discuss what they did and what their strategy was. But we really appreciate you spending a few minutes with us. Absolutely. Thanks for having me as always, guys. All right. So what did you think about what Brian had to say in his premise that Clark's going to go first and Dylan Cruz is going to fall to the Tigers? I think it'll be interesting to see what happens if that actually goes down. I mean, that, that changes the game. That changes everything. That was, I mean, obviously I'm so you know tuned into what the Tigers are doing at the big league level that it gets really difficult to try to pay attention to everything that's going on in the draft. Um, but the Tigers had worked out Max Clark, and I thought that he was somebody that would probably go a little bit after them and was somebody that was maybe more of like a smokescreen for them in, in a sense. I don't think they're ever really that interested in Max Clark, but it sure sounds like the the Pirates might want to cut a deal. And I mean, look at the Nationals. I mean, they they love their starting pitching. They love their college starting pitchers. And so Paul Skeens makes a lot of sense. Like if if the Pirates really want to do that, I see Skeens going too easily, which that leaves a boatload of options for the Tigers and puts them in the best best position possible. Um, I think that, Look, I think I think Dylan Cruz is the best way they could get at that point, and if it ends up that way, good for them. I think it's like getting a lottery ticket. You got a team that has one of the five worst farm systems in baseball, and immediately you drop a a player into their system who's one of the top twenty five in baseball from the day he signs. Very well, maybe higher than that. So I don't think you could ask for much more. And if they're fortunate and shrewd about who they take uh, at 37 and 45, you know, they need an infusion of talent in the worst way. And from what Brian had to say, this seems like an unbelievable opportunity to maybe get the best player in the draft because other people have different strategy and want to be the smartest guy in the room, which is I'm always happy to take advantage of people that want to be the smartest guy in the room because rarely are they the smartest guy in the room. So, um, yeah, I'm excited at the possibility that they may be able to add somebody the caliber of Cruz or Langford. All right, this week, play Oakland three times. Who we got after that? We got, got Toronto or no? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep, so it's Toronto. Oakland for three games and then the Toronto Blue Jays for three games to finish out. You know, heading into the All-Star break, we got an action-packed All-Star break, obviously, home run derby, All-Star game, a ton of other festivities. Oh, and then on top of it, the draft. Um, hopefully the Tigers will be making Dylan Cruz a Tiger at that point. We will see what ends up happening. And then off to Seattle in the second half of the season, um, even though we're already into the second half. But, you know, post-All-Star break begins with the Mariners and the Royals, and they're off and running. All right, so we're going to wrap it up for this week. I want to remind everybody to subscribe, rate, and review. You can find us where you find any podcast. There's only about 175 different places to find us now. Um, You can always find us embedded into any Evan Petzold article in the free press at freep.com. I'd like to thank our executive producers, Kirk Crawford and Anjanette Delgado. I'd also like to thank our producer, Robin Chan, who will have his hands full cutting this up into a really cohesive sounding podcast this week. I'd also like to thank uh, Brayden Michael Gorosh, who I'll be seeing at 9.15 tomorrow morning. 
And uh, Evan Petzold, this is your last week before the All-Star break. I'm praying you get a few days off before that All-Star, uh, during that All-Star break, where you get to go and relax and recharge and just be a normal human being for a few days. Sounds like the dream. We'll see if it happens. Probably not. All right, everybody. We'll see you next week. Peace.